You've tuned in to Naturopathic Earth Radio and Holistic Health News, where you get the latest on medical cover-ups, government malfeasance, toxins being put in our food and home, as well as sound, clean eating principles. We are here to cast a light on what the big sick care industry and its government shills don't want you to know. Don't be a slave to Big Pharma. Break free of the shackles of big food and start your journey now on a long, purposeful life. Become a citizen of Naturopathic Earth. Here's your host, A. Gregory Luna. Hello, everybody. This is A. Gregory Luna. Of course, you can call me Gregory. Welcome back to another episode of Holistic Health News and Naturopathy Earth Radio. I hope you're doing well today. Before we begin talking about how much sex you should be having, of course, the website is naturopathicearth.com. Go check it out. We have 480 articles, which is pretty good given I've only existed for two years. It's a pretty prodigious amount of work there. Recently, uh, I wrote an article on Are Men Falling Behind? We talk about whether or not uh, the future of men bodes well. Now, some of you feminists are like, yeah, screw the man. But if you look at a lot of the statistical indicators, of course, more men uh, drop out of high school, uh, men are getting much lower test grades, men are not getting degrees like they used to. In fact, women outpace men in all degrees from high school to undergrad, grad, law, med, uh, and so forth. Of course, the 10 to 1 ratio and uh, imprisonment and so forth. So we talk about some of the factors why boys fall behind when they're young, some of the things that they're attracted to, some of the addictions, and even some teacher biases. So go check out that article. I did write one on a recipe on stuffing some bell peppers with some sausage. So check that out. So go check out the website. Also, of course, as you know, we are crowdfunded through Patreon. Please follow the links on these episode notes and donate some money. It would mean a lot to us. If you like the content, then you would like donating even a dollar a month to us. So please do that. Also, I do have an ebook on Amazon Kindle and Barnes & Noble Nook called Confessions of an Obese Child, which shares the same name as the sister, I guess it should be brother podcast of Holistic Health News. And that book is available for $2.99 on those two platforms. So if you purchase that, that would help us out. Also, it, please post an honest review because that would help me out as well. So if any of you have ever dealt with food addiction or if you're overweight or if you just like to read and you're sadistic and you want to read about some poor kid getting bullied in really bad ways, go buy the book and read it. And if you're really into that sadistic, yeah, stuff, then go check out the podcast because the first 20 episodes are, are done as vignettes where I talk about highly traumatizing events and and when I was a youth. And then the last 20, 25 episodes of Confessions talk about coping mechanisms that developed out of that traumatic youth and how they affected me today. And then we also talk about uh, Survivor's Guild, how to curb binge eating demons. We talk about how a large majority of Americans would rather have their arm cut off and be alcoholic than be overweight. And we, we talk about like obesity-centric studies and news that come out. And I've also interviewed uh, three people who were formerly overweight. So go check that out. As always, I'm a certified paleo-inspired health coach. If you're in the need to radically change your lifestyle, contact me. My fees are reasonable. And as most of you know, I lost over a hundred and something pounds and kept it off for 27 years. So your trainer might be great. And I will concede they probably know about trainer athletic stuff. But if you need somebody who has a proven track record who can relate to what you've gone through, um, I don't think there's anyone better than me because I've gone through exactly what you've what you've going through right now. If you're overweight, either as an adult or as a child, and um, I can certainly empathize. Whereas your trainers have no idea. Most of the time, they're just 24 year old roid roid head. So 
yeah, contact me for that as well. All right. Before we begin, I do want to mention I have a new addition to the Naturopathic Earth family. I have Santiago, the parakeet. I got this parakeet about a week ago because I thought it'd be, yeah, it'd be good to get one for the kids. This coincided with a move. I recently moved the Naturopathic Earth headquarters about a half a mile away from where I used to live. I was like, okay, let's do a housewarming thing. I got a parakeet. I thought, well, I want to get a pet. I don't want to get a dog, at least not yet. And well, I could have gotten like a, a guinea pig or a hamster. When I was in college, I got two guinea, I got two hamsters, I should say, and I named them after my favorite painter, Caravaggio, and my favorite country because that's how much of a geography nerd I was, and it was Eritrea. So I called them Carrie and Airy. I had them for like a month, and then one day I came in and I and, and I tapped the glass, and Airy turned around with a bloody mouth, and he and he was eating the corpse of. Uh, airy. So I guess I didn't feed them enough or maybe they were just naturally antagonistic and killed each other. And then the, the to the spoils, the to the victor goes to spoils and he was just eating them up. And I was like, yeah. So mm. I still remember that little bloody face looking at me with those beady black eyes. So now I got this parakeet and people were telling me, oh, parakeets are great. I was watching videos on budgies. Budgies parakeets are the same. And how you see these videos where they're jumping around the cage and singing all the time. And they'll go on your shoulder, go on your finger. I was like, oh, man, this is awesome. And then I heard you should only get one because they'll bond with you better instead of two. So I get one. He's a blue one. Cute. He just sits in this cage all day. I mean, he has not. I think he sang one time two days ago, but he's just like frozen like a statue. He doesn't do anything. doesn't do anything. I go in. I try to talk to him a lot. I... You know, I rub my finger around the the cage. No. And then when I go in to change the water, he flies around. He's just freaking out all the time. So now what I did is like, screw this. Because it's all about me. I don't really care about this bird, apparently. Because I I guess my mindset's like, well, a parakeet costs $20. So if he dies, you know, eh, I can get another one. Or I have a 14-day return policy. So (laughs) I guess I have another week to return him if he dies, if he just drops dead. And I can just be like, well, I guess he was, you know, a faulty budgie. So now what I do is there was a little mirror that I got with a perch. And so now I kind of force him to get on that perch. And I take the window, the mirror, I should say, sorry. I'm dyslexic. I always get windows and mirrors mixed up. My my whole life I do that. Same for watching clocks. So I get him on this old mirror perch. And now I take him out. And now he stays on the perch. When I walk around, I put him down somewhere in a room where I'm at. Not really close to him. And now he has the mirror because with budgies, mirrors, they think it's like another budgie in there. So now that's what I've done the last two, three days, and he seems okay. Let me see if he's still, yeah, he's still there. Just He's on a box right behind me, and he's just staring at the mirror, and occasionally he sings. And then sometimes I just kind of push him off the budgie, or push him off the mirror and just let him walk around, and he just walks around, and his wings are clipped, so he'll just kind of walk around and fly. He needs the exercise. You know, if, he, if you're, he's frozen like a statue all day, he's not getting any exercise. So come on, I need to be a good holistic paleo inspired health coach to him. So I'll give you an update on how the budgie's doing later on. All right, let's get to sex. All right. So you might be wondering why I chose to do this episode. Um, I don't know. I think statistics are interesting and I think sex is interesting. And I think this is one of the, the activities and bonds that bond all humans. You know, when you think about if you're ever having sex and if any of my students are listening to this, I know you've never had sex and don't ever have sex, but you know, you, you think about mankind, mankind's been doing it 
doing it and doing it and doing it. Okay, I'm going to try not to sing as many songs about sex. Ooh, I want to sing. So we've been doing it since the beginning of time, right? We procreate. That's how we're still here. You think about like our, we always think it's gross. Like, oh, our parents are having sex. And I remember one time, I was probably like 10 years old. And I remember going, it must have been at night, to my, my parents' room, and the door was locked, and I was trying to knock on the door. And, and I did hear my parents having sex. It was, the only, it was only one time. And I just remember distinctly my mom, I remember hearing my mom go, I, Maria, Maria. Uh, and I was like, wow. I guess she was just talking to the Virgin Mary. I, I have no idea. So, I mean, we think, it's, we think it's creepy when we hear our parents having sex. But think about your grandparents, great-grandparents. I mean, they all got it on so that you could be here. Right, so sex is normal. Sex is natural. Ideally, we want it in the confines of a good relationship. We don't want sex to be used as a weapon where a person is like, "Oh, well, we're not gonna. I'm not gonna have sex with you. Clean the garage. You know, sex should never be bartered, and there should be really, ideally, no remuneration as in, in terms of prostitution. It should be consensual. Uh, so yeah, you know, it's good stuff. But if you're not having it, eh, don't worry about it because apparently, married couples aren't having it too often either. So. We're going to talk about how often the frequency of sex and what's the typical stat. So some of you are in a committed relationship and you might have always wondered, you know, what what's the average number in America of people having sex? And now you can compare yourself because, come on, we always compare ourselves, especially women. Women are notorious for always comparing themselves, not to other men, to other women. Women are in, just innately competitive with themselves. And women dress up to show off to other women, not to guys. Guys don't care. Guys, if you're pretty, you could be wearing sackcloth and ashes and guys wouldn't even look, whoa. I mean, sure, you know, if you're wearing high heels, you know, the guys might notice you, but women typically dress up to show off to other women. And advertisers know that. I mean, look at department stores. It's 80% women attire. And most of that stuff isn't necessarily to attract a man. It's to look good in front of the other women and to keep up with the, the Joneses women. So, I mean, to a certain extent, I suppose makeup is is done to do that because makeup, if you don't know, simulates sexual arousal. So the reason women wear lipstick and blush is because when women are sexually aroused, um, their their lips, both of them, and their their cheeks get red. And so what what they're signaling to men is that you know if you date me, go out with me, you'll be I'll be sexually aroused. And so that's the kind of the history of makeup. Of course, also concealing blemishes as well. All right, so we're going to be reading from the Medical Daily. Singles and couples have probably asked themselves, how much sex should I be having per week? The magic number all depends on a variety of factors, including lifestyle, each partner's health, sex drive, and age. A recirculated study from the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex, Reproduction, and Gender suggests age can act as a predictor for average sex frequency, ranging from once a week to once a month. Now, before we get to the numbers... The Kinsey Institute's a fascinating institute. I should say Alfred Kinsey is a fascinating guy. Now, I remember there was a movie that Liam Neeson did where he represented Kinsey, and it was a total whitewash. If you really want to know about Kinsey, and I remember learning this back when I used to listen to the shortwave radio conspiracy theory days, Kinsey was a freak pedophile. He was a deviant man, a super deviant man. And if you ever watch uh, what the Showtime show... Masters of uh, Masters of Sex, uh, man, he he that guy was straight laced. Kinsey, now you can look this up. Kinsey used to uh, now. If there's any any women here listening and their kids are in the room, let's cover their ears for a second. Right? Let's do earmuffs, like from old school earmuffs. Um, 
he used to masturbate little children, one-year-old, two-year-old kids, to see them ejaculate, to see what the ejaculatory rate would be and so forth. So he used to do that. He himself, and I haven't looked this up in a long time, but I'm, I'm pretty sure my memory is pretty good here. So he would in, himself would engage in deviant behavior. And so, you know, all in the name of science, you know, we have to masturbate one-year-olds and two-year-olds. I mean, it's just sick stuff. The dude was sick, but either way. I mean, the Kinsey Institute is regarded as our sex experts. How they got this information back in the 1940s and 50s is another question. But just, you know, look into his history and you'll find out that he was a pretty deviant dude. All right, here we go. Unsurprisingly, researchers at the pervert Kinsey Institute found people between the ages of 18 and 29 are having the most sex. All right, so for 18 18 to 29-year-olds in a relationship right now, let's see. Let's see where you're at. With an average of 112 sex sessions per year or twice a week, right? 52 weeks a year. So it's a little over two times a week. Okay. 112 per week. That's it. You know, this is understood that you're in a committed relationship. If you're a single 19 year old, if you're, if you're having sex with 112 times with 112 different women, uh, yeah. Wow. Wow. Of course, there is the double standard. If it's a guy, it's like, oh, he's a real man. If it's a woman, we call her a whore, right? So these are all on the assumption that you're in some sort of long-term relationship or you know, relationship. Meanwhile, 30 to 39-year-olds have sex 86 times per year. All right, so that's a drop of 40, 40 times, which equates to about one and a half times per week. So all you 30 to 39-year-olds married or in a long-term relationship, are you having sex more than one and a half times per week? What is the half? Is that coitus interruptus? Is that pulling out? Sorry. Those in the 40 to 49 age group manage, manage to have sex only 69 times per year, about half the total for 18 to 29-year-olds. All right, so that's about once, a little over once a week. A little over once a week. So let's go over this again. The 20-year-olds, two times a week. 30-year-olds, one and a half times a week. 40-year-olds, once a week. Now, we have no stats for 50 or over because I guess they just assume no, no one's having sex because the woman's all menopausal and dried up and the guy's falling asleep watching TV. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just embracing the stereotypes of older people, but I'm sure people over 50 are having sex too. Maybe the Kinsey Institute doesn't care because we don't want to think about old people having sex. Now, if you go to that episode I did on the rise of STDs, this must be around episode 110. I talk about the highest, uh, the highest rate of STD increases actually in geriatric people. Geriatric people are having, they're getting it on. They're listening to some Al Green and Barry White because they were really big back then when these people were younger, you know, you know, 40 years ago, 45 years ago. And uh, the reason is, of course, the women aren't using protection and, you know, there's dryness down there. So they're ripping the vagina. And so that increases the chances of getting uh, any type of HPV or whatever you're carrying uh, into the woman. So, yeah, it's, it's a major issue. The, the biggest increase rate of STDs is, is among gay men, which has always been because gay men uh, through anal sex, you know, that, that the anus is not meant for sex. So you're perforating that lining, lining pretty easily. And then uh, young teenagers doing hetero and, you know, whatever sex, and then old people, but definitely old people outpace the other ones. Oh, so let's go back to the numbers. So the 40 to 49-year-olds and, and, and the 30 to 39s as well. The drop-off from the 20 to 29s to the less frequency of sex from 30 and over, this drop-off typically coincides with the increase in age as family obligations, day-to-day stresses, and illnesses become more physically and mentally taxing. 
A study in June found physical changes that occur as we age plus how old we feel both influence the experience of sex. Yeah, I mean, when you're in college, I mean, what's your biggest stressor? Where to, where to score your next Xanax? Where to score your next pot falling asleep in your class? Not binge drink dying? I mean, college nowadays is just, I mean, aside from the elite institutions, college is a joke, right? College is a joke. Remember, D, oh, I think my bird just made a song. D is for degree. Just remember that. When, when I was in college, I was like, oh, I got to study all night, study all night. Go, go to College Dysfunction, the, the, the Confessions episode. I talk about this where I'm at the library freaking 10 o'clock at night, pretty much every night, including weekends. And I got to study, you know, so yeah, I got a 3.86 GPA. What I didn't realize at the time, and my brother should have told me because he's an extremely far, successful pharmaceutical manager, and he was in a frat, and he graduated with like a 2.1. It doesn't matter what your GPA is unless you're going to graduate school or law school or med school. But if you know you're only going to get an undergrad and then that's it, I mean, don't just get a 2.0. No, nobody looks at your GPA when you're applying for a job. Just get the degree. Just get the degree. The degree gets you that entryway into the, the world of making a little more money. Now, hopefully, you're getting in a degree that actually gives you skill. Don't get a degree in history like I did. Oh, look, Santi made another sound. So just get in the right degree. Marketing, and not even marketing. I would do architecture, engineering, accounting. You can find jobs for that. But definitely, when you're young, it's easy, man. It's, it's not a problem. You have no stress. Once you have kids and you're doing the grind, not the good grind, but the grind, the commuting grind, uh, yeah, you know, sex is not always on the mind. The woman could be tired. The man could be tired. And certainly when you get into your 40s, you know, then you got the, the, the alleged low T issue. So go back to that episode I did on natural ways to increase your testosterone for you men and for women. Remember, women need testosterone because that's the hormone that makes them horny. And uh, we talk about the, the scam that is low T therapy, how most of the, the supplements that you see on commercials, like on talk radio or on ESPN, you know, do you, with the one, like I've seen the one with Frank Thomas, the old major league baseball player. And they're always the same, you know, look, you have low T, take fill in the blank, eugenics. And then you see, of course, on the bottom, it says, this has not been evaluated by the FDA and there's no results showing this is actually true. It's a total scam. They can put whatever they want in there. I mean, they could literally put sugar in it like a placebo. So don't fall for those pills. They're a complete waste and or they're completely unregulated. So they could be putting high, high amounts of some super stimulant that can give you a heart attack. So there's natural ways to increase your testosterone. Fasting, for example, is one of them. Uh, Lifting very heavy amounts of stuff in a short amount of time is another one. So definitely the older you get, it's a little harder. Dr. Justin Leimuller of the Pervert Kinsey Institute says, quote, the basic storyline that has emerged from these studies is that as we get older, our odds of developing chronic health conditions increases, and this in turn negatively impacts the frequency and quality of sexual activity. Yeah, especially with men. You know, if you have a lot of blockage in your, your arteries, uh, blood doesn't get to the, t- the, uh, the penis as well. But the penis, the, the two erectile tissues, especially the corpus cavernosa, which is the main one that makes the penis erect, it needs to fill up with blood. And so the old saying among urologists is if you can't get it up, oh, he's flying. Oh my God, he just flew onto the keyboard. Wow. All right, now move. You're getting in the way. Okay, thank you. Wow, nice fly. So the the old saying is that, uh, yeah, if you can't get it up, and assuming it's not a psychological impotence, erectile dysfunction, but physical, it's because you're not getting enough blood down there. Why aren't you getting enough blood down there? Because you have blockage in your coronary arteries and in your aorta that's preventing you from getting down there. Now, now don't poop on my desk. At least when they poop, it's easy to clean up. All right. So the other factor they say 
is with marriage, right? Marriage plays a pivotal role in sex frequency. 34% of married couples have sex two to three times per week. I guess that's in general. 45% have sex a few times a month. And 13% have sex only a few times a year. The sexless relationship. Let's go through that today. 34% of married couples, I, I suppose this is regardless of age, have sex two to three times per week. 45% have sex a few times a month. And 13% pretty much never have sex. Now, I'm going to have an episode coming up on the benefits of being single. There's going to be an article and a podcast on this to coincide with Valentine's Day. And uh, one of the arguments I make in this in this article, which I've already written, is you know the, the old the old, the old myth the old, the myth the old idea is that we you know we have to be in a relationship to get the sex. But you know, a lot of you know that even once you're married, uh, especially you get older, lots of times one or both of the, the the people in the relationship don't want to have sex anymore. So then you sacrifice all these things, these resources, and all the other reasons I, I mentioned that it's good to be single for sex, and now you're not even getting sex. So there's there's loads of sexless marriages, and now you might think, oh, these are all the sixty year olds. No, I personally wasn't a sexless marriage. I had two one year stints uh, with my ex wife, and I know people in their thirties that are in sexless marriages. I mean, it's pretty common, and it's either the woman or the man. Some people think it's always the woman, right? Because she's the gatekeeper, metaphorically and literally. No, it's not always the the woman. Sometimes it's the uh, the man who just is checked out and doesn't want to get it up, or he's got some health conditions. So, is your sex life doomed if you're not average for your age? Previous research has found married couples and those in committed relationships who have more sex tend to be happier. Right, But this benefit waned after a certain number. The happiness of the survey respondents increased with more frequent sex, but that frequency could be as little as once a week. So right, if you're not having sex at all, and then you start going to sex a couple times a month, uh, definitely one of those parties is happier. They're the ones like, oh God, I guess I have to put out. Those who had sex four more times a week did not report feeling any happier than those who had it weekly. So don't go, guys, don't go up to your, your wife and be like, look, we need to have sex seven times a week because we'll feel happier. Like the, the Kinsey pervert study said this. No. So it's not like if you're screwing a lot more, if you want to have a lot more sex to, to, to make your relationship better, it doesn't always work. You know, if, if lots of times people aren't having sex in a relationship because of poor communication, not necessarily because, um, because of, um, you know, medical conditions. So if you, if you ham out whatever is the underlying resentment, then, or work on trust issues, there could be trust issues like infidelity, but just in general, trust issues, like this bird is peeking at my cables. And then if you can remedy that problem, then maybe you can go back to having sex. So definitely we know that sex is important to married couples. It's bonding, even if you're having uh, not intimate kind of sex, but even kind of the more animalistic positions. We know that sex because of the oxytocin that's released by both sexes, but certainly more with women, that it's bonding. And sex is very important to both couples. So you want to be having sex if you're in a marriage. And also the assumption too, that when you got married is that you would be having sex with each other. Not to get all all religious, but there's a verse in, in Corinthians, first or second, I can't remember where, St. Paul, Paul to you Protestant, St. Paul says that we should surrender our bodies to our mate, that that uh, we, even if we're not in the mood for sex, now he, I'm paraphrasing, okay, he's not going to be like, if you're not in the mood for getting horizontal, 
if you're not in the mood for having sex, you still surrender your body to your mate. Because if not, it builds up frustration and tension. And it also tells men, men, if you're not in the mood for having sex, you still have to surrender your body to your women. Because that's the best thing for marriage is even if you're not in the mood, you still have to have sex because sex is bonding. And when you go through a sexless spell, that does not bode well for your marriage. And we want people to stay happily married for a long time. Let's finish up here. Although couples may start to have sex less sex with age, women report their sex lives actually get better. A 2016 study presented at the annual meeting at the North American Menopause Society in Orlando. Oh my God, what, what kind of group is that? Found this was linked to women feeling more comfortable in their skin, which led them to develop more confidence to express themselves sexually and to communicate their needs to their partners. In other words, these women started to focus less on the frequency of sex and more on the emotional and intimate aspects of sex or adapting sex acts themselves. Certainly, we know that women, their peak fertility window is 18 to 24, but we know their, their peak kind of sexualities is upper mid-upper 30s to even low 40s. And one of the reasons that's not mentioned here, oh my God, now he's peeking out my iPhone cables. Don't pick up my cables. Yeah, go fly somewhere else is uh, their clitoris actually gets longer. The, the, oh, there he goes, he just sang. The clitoris is actually quite, it's like a coil, and it, and it starts very condensed at the, at the beginning. Not, I would say not the beginning, like when they're four, but you know, let's just say like in the 20s. And then as uh, women get older, it gets longer and sticks out more. So the clitoris is actually, the majority of the clitoris is in, in, inside the body of the woman. But as a woman ages, a little more sticks out. But definitely, as they say, that women feel more comfortable in their 30s. By that point, they know what gets them off. And uh, they are more communicative and more comfortable telling the man what, what makes them tick and what makes them happy. So that certainly makes sense. Sex at any age can be beneficial, whether couple's frequency is average, above average, or below average. Age allows partners to focus on the quality rather than the quantity, even though quantity is important. After all, frequent mediocre sex could lead to sexual dissatisfaction in a relationship, while great sex once in a while could be enough to keep the spark alive. Yeah, I wonder who wrote this. Is this a man or a woman who wrote this? Let's see. Let's see. Yeah, a woman. I thought so. Yeah, uh, I totally would not agree with this last saying right here. Yeah, I don't agree with this. Frequent mediocre sex could lead to sexual dissatisfaction in a relationship while great sex once in a while could spark. Yeah, that's that's definitely written for by a woman because a man would not agree with that at all. A man rather have frequent mediocre sex uh, than than once, you know, every two months where it's, you know, out of the ballpark. No, yeah. men, men need, I wouldn't say men need sex, but men, I think it's more important in a marriage uh, for men to have sex uh, than for women. So men would rather have mediocre sex for sure if it's frequent. And also, you know, men tend to be a little more selfish, not always, but men, you know, sometimes can be just be like, you know, I need what I need and then, you know, they don't really care about the, what the woman needs. But in general, I would not agree, agree with that last part. All right, let's finish up. All right, so what are the takeaways here? The big takeaway is just know where you are on that spectrum. So if you're in your 20s, if you're having sex more than twice a week, which I'm assuming you are, I'm assuming like if I was in my 20s, I'd be having sex more than twice a week. I mean, there are people that have sex three times a night. So I mean, that that number seems kind of low, but 
if you're in your 20s, okay, the average is twice a week. Try to beat that average, okay? I don't agree with that last statement. Try to beat the average. If you're in your 30s, try to have sex more than once at one and a half times a week. Let's not go with the average. You know, This is one of those averages you don't want to be below. Let's try to have sex more than one and a half times a week. If you're in your 40s, definitely try to have sex more than once a week. And look, you know, when you get older... It's tougher, I think, for the woman because the woman enters perimenopause and then menopause. And unless she's doing bioidentical hormone replacement, especially with testosterone and testosterone creams, she might just check out a sex altogether or not want it because it's painful, right? The vagina dries up and it's painful for women to have sex. So, And then plus the mood swings and the heat flashes and all these other things and the weight gain. So it's important that for a woman if who's married... Uh, to address those issues because if she loves her husband, men in their 40s still want to be having sex. So it is selfish, and of course the feminists might get mad at this, but it is selfish for a woman in her 40s and 50s just to be like, all right, I hit menopause, I'm out. And then the husband's like, what? You know, I still have a sex drive. What am I supposed to do? So, you know, women... Go to your regular doctor, OBGO, and definitely can go to a chiropractor, or not really a chiropractor, but a, a naturopath, and they'll give you um, bioidentical testosterone creams, and you can replenish the vagina, and it can be like it used to be. And then, boom, your sex drive will come back, and your 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 sex desire will come back, and then you can please your husband, because it's not necessarily fair uh, to him. And you know, conversely, too, if a man just, let's say, demand his 30s, and go back to that episode I did on porn, about a, a 50% of, of British men in their, their 30s report having ED. So let's say it's a woman's married to a guy who's hooked on porn and the guy can't get it up or is not interested in having sex with his wife because she can't do all the weird deviant stuff he's watched on porn. Uh, that's not fair to her. So it goes both ways. He needs to have that address because that is selfish on his part. So try to beat the averages here. And... Find ways to spark the sex life. Sex is extremely important in marriage in any relationship, not not just for men, but for both uh, both people in it. So increase your communication, increase your trust. Men, you know, flatter your women, give them little compliments throughout the day. You know, display public displays of affection. Still kiss them, hug them in public, do a little slap on the tushy, whatever. You know, make them still feel that they're pretty. Even if you might not find them attractive anymore, you are married to them. So it, it is in your vested interest to make them think that you still find them attractive. And, you know, both of both couples should try to stay in shape. That is important uh, for sexual attraction. Let's not beat around in the feminist. Like, oh my God, it's a male show. No, it's not. I mean, it's true. I mean, both sexes would be more sexually attracted to their 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 partner if if both were in if the other person was in shape. I mean, that's that's natural. I'm just speaking the truth here. That's that's natural. I think everybody would agree with that. So try to stay in shape, and then try to do romantic things. Last last thought here. Let's think of some great songs. Uh, some people really like uh, to have sex to like the weekend, okay? Or some like like kind of hardcore room. I mean, everyone's different, I suppose. I I know there's people who like to get it on to heavy metal music. I am not that person. No way. There are people like like kind of like the weekend, that kind of heavier R and B kind of music, or post Malone. Uh, some people like kind of jazzy music. Some people like classical music. You know, figure out whatever makes you aroused. Men, they don't care. I mean, men men could be 
listening to dogs howling and they still do it. They don't care. It's more about the women because, you know, the women are more visual and aesthetic and uh, aural. You know, they got to be hearing it and feeling it and sensing all that to get the, the motor going for them. So really it's more about what, what makes you the woman uh, happy in terms of music. In terms of funny songs about sex, there's two that I, that I love. One is a classic 80s song called Sex and then parentheses, I'm a Man by Berlin. Berlin was a classic 80s band. They did Take My Breath Away, which is the famous ballad from Top Gun. But they have a sex song called Sex, I'm a Man. That is one of the funniest sex songs. It's a very dancey techno song. And Terry Nunn, the lead singer of Berlin, she's singing about, in the refrain, she's like, I'm a whore. And then the guy in the background says, I'm a man. And then she goes, I'm a diva. I'm a pervert. I'm a good girl. So she in the refrain, she's talking about like all the different roles that women kind of play in their lives uh, to to either satisfy the man or they all have these kind of uh, avatars in them. And so it's a fascinating song, but it's very dancey. And then the last two minutes of the song, after they finish singing, it's just like grunting and moaning. It's just a really funny song. So go check it out. I'll try to put a link on the up a YouTube video on the on the episode notes. The other one that I caught that caught my attention, Katie Katie uh, introduced it to me a couple years ago, was Butterfly by Jason Mraz. And uh, Butterfly is you know you know you know Mraz from like I'm Yours and all those little lovey dovey songs, but Butterfly is uh, very graphic. And so just hearing it from him is pretty funny. I mean, it is graphic. So I'll put I'll put that one in there. And if you guys have any other funny, really, really funny songs about sex, uh, please share them with me on, on social media. I'm Albert Gregory on Facebook. Befriend me if you like. As, as always, message me ahead of time because I get like 30 message requests and I don't want to be friends with just random Pakistanis. So you need to message me like, hey, I listen to your podcast and then I'll definitely be your friend. But if you want to post something or private message me there, or go to our Facebook page at Naturopathic Earth Radio. That would be great. All right, that's all I have to say, guys. Please hit the subscribe button. Takes you two seconds, helps me out. And then as always, post, 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 post a review. You don't have to write anything. Just hit whatever, three, four, preferably five stars and hit send. It means a lot. Please do it. All right, guys, until next time, take care. God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to NPE Radio and Holistic Health News. Visit our website at naturopathicearth.com. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Holistic News Now and at our Facebook page at Naturopathic Earth. Please consider a donation at patreon.com slash naturopathic earth. Buy the confessions of an obese child ebook on Amazon or Barnes & Noble Nook. Consider subscribing to our podcast. And as always, please post an honest review on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this. And remember, the core belief at NPE, let food be thy medicine, let nature be thy healer. Until next time, music courtesy of Nine Inch Nails.